0: Good morning, in today's headlines, takeaways from last night's fiery GOP primary debate and former President Trump's visit to Detroit to speak to voters amid the UAW strike.
1: The clock is ticking on a partial government shutdown. We take a look at what's going on behind the scenes with House Republicans.
0: No more casual Fridays for members of the Senate. Learn more about dress requirements after a unanimous vote.
1: A mass wave of looting takes Philadelphia by storm. We take a look at the rampage and the aftermath with 50 arrests so far.
0: Should Microsoft be providing the government with IT services? A recent hack of federal emails raises questions.
1: And a new superfood with health benefits is discovered by researchers. We speak to one of those researchers to find out more. Good morning. Welcome to NTD. I'm Kevin Hogan.
0: Good morning everyone. I'm Evelyn Lee. Today is Thursday, September 28th.
1: I'm really looking forward to learning more about this superfood. You know, I've had kale and spirulina, which doesn't really taste that great, but it's high in protein.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm always open for some options that balances out all the crap that I put in my body. So, <laughs> But today, I guess we're starting off with, like usual, with some serious news. Well, we have takeaways from the second GOP presidential primary debate. Republican candidates took turns calling out former President Trump for skipping the event, with some joining in a concerted effort to target current party frontrunners. And Entity's Jeremy Sandberg has more on last night's debate.
2: Campaign advisors, supporters and surrogates weighed in following the second GOP primary debate. Matt Gorman, senior communications advisor for Senator Tim Scott's campaign, told NTD's Steve Lance he liked the way Scott was able to contrast his policies with other candidates. He says Scott's approach to dealing with China, a hot topic at the debate, will
3: be strong. He will be strong on China. Um, And I think that's what you saw too today when he was going back and forth with Vivek. You know, Vivek wants to call everybody bought and paid for. He's, you know, purer than the driven snow. And yet... uh, when uh, Vivek, in his previous, I guess, life, pre-political, he was, uh, had ties, the Chinese Communist Party's business had ties, the Chinese Communist Party, and, and he was uh, getting money from Hunter Biden's buddy there. So I think what you're gonna see is those policy contrasts, particularly in China. I think
2: Governor DeSantis, Aaron Perine, communications director for the Never Back Down PAC backing DeSantis, said the Florida governor's performance on the debate stage set him apart from other candidates, due to his ability to explain his record and path forward on sensitive policy issues like China.
4: This is one of those record of strength moments for the governor. He has banned, they outlawed the ability for China to buy farmland and land in Florida. He has outlawed Confucius Institutes in Florida. We have seen him stand up to the CCP and to the Chinese government to benefit Floridians. When he gets on the national stage, when he becomes president of the United States, those are strong policy positions, decoupling our economies, making sure that America can be independent of China for our own needs. That is what every American should want, and they heard and they know that Ron DeSantis is the candidate who can actually deliver on that.
2: Vivek Ramaswamy surrogate Kathy Barnett says Ramaswamy was the most clear about his message and vision and welcomed the heat from other Republican candidates
5: people are punching up (laughs) because they recognize that he has the momentum so we wear all of their angst and criticism as a badge of honor because we recognize that and they recognize as well when you see all of that rancor that's going on is that the momentum is behind him and the key thing that they should be asking is not how to douse His his momentum and enthusiasm from the people, but what it is, but what is it that is causing that momentum in the first place? And what it is is that no one has been more clear about the vision, about the dangers, and where it is we're running toward, and how to get from where we find ourselves today to actually pulling our nation off the precipice.
2: With former President Trump skipping the debate to address auto workers in Michigan, the GOP frontrunner sent surrogates instead. Trump surrogate, Kevin Marino Cabrera, told NTD the debate was uneventful and uninspiring. He says Trump chose to take his message straight to the voters and that he's more qualified for the job than anyone on stage. Nobody
6: is more prepared to deal with China than President Trump. Everybody else on stage again, I think they're just campaigning to see, you know, if they could be secretary of commerce, maybe transportation. But none of them have a real chance to beat President Trump because he's a, he has a commanding lead of nearly 50 percent. It's unsurmountable.
2: The third Republican presidential debate will be held in Miami on November 8th. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News.
0: Meanwhile, former President Trump was in Detroit where he addressed workers of Drake Enterprises, a non unionized auto parts supplier in Clinton Township.
1: Trump accused the Biden administration of killing the U.S. auto industry with its push for electric vehicles amid the United Auto Workers Union strike.
7: I will not allow, under any circumstances,
8: the American automobile industry to die. I want it to
7: thrive and to thrive like never before.
0: Trump insisted that Biden's embrace of electric vehicles would ultimately lead to job losses and that the Biden administration's goal was to sell out to China and to the climate agenda.
1: In a bid to get endorsement from union leaders, Trump also added that he is supportive of workers during the strike, but warned that no deal would matter if proposed pollution limits take effect. President Biden announced when he took office that by 2030, at least half of U.S. cars would be at least part electric.
0: While Trump skipped the second GOP debate to address workers directly, his thoughts on the electric vehicle transition were welcomed among his supporters.
7: He's talking about how we need choice, and that's the thing. When you get rid of all the gasoline-powered vehicles, it's going to screw everything up. And everybody thinks that this electric vehicle way of thinking is so clean and all that. But when you dig deeper, it's really not.
9: I was born and raised in Michigan, and he is for the little guy. And he is for everybody, young and old. I'm here with my son, young, both both of my children. I think the UAW right now, they want to get a job done. They want 40%. Personally, that is a lot. And a lot of people in Michigan aren't making that. We're struggling in Michigan.
0: Trump's visit to Detroit came a day after President Biden joined a picket line to show solidarity with United Auto Workers Union members.
1: Let's hear a perspective on the debate from a former presidential campaign policy manager. Bart Marquois, president of Marquois Partners International Corporation, joins us live. Good morning, Bart. Good morning, Kevin. Thanks for having me on. So in your view, who won and who lost? Well, clearly,
10: the clear winner was President Trump last night. Before the debate, and and I'll get to the losers in a minute, but before the debate, I made a list of, I, I asked myself, what is the basis of American power? AND I MADE A LIST, uh, THE DOLLAR, THE ECONOMIC MIGHT, MANUFACTURING, EDUCATION, FAMILY, ENERGY, RULE OF LAW, BORDER, MILITARY MIGHT. WE ARE FAILING ON EVERY ONE OF THOSE MEASURES. AND WE NEED A CHAMPION TO DEFEAT NOT ONLY THE DEMOCRATS, BUT ALSO THE Uniparty. PARTY. WHAT I HEARD LAST NIGHT, FIRST I WATCHED PRESIDENT TRUMP GIVE HIS SPEECH IN DETROIT. He hit every single one of those, although his speech was just about manufacturing and union jobs. He hit every single one of those issues and he hit them over and over again. And everyone who heard the speech came away feeling like that uh, woman said, I want somebody who's for the little guy. I want somebody who will fight for me. Um, Shift now to the debate the biggest losers were pence and christie i think they start to fade from this moment they came across like typical politicians giving canned answers and rehearsed zingers and they all just fell flat but none of the people on the debate stage addressed those big issues they some were forced to by the questions some hit two or three of those issues nobody hit them all the way president trump did
1: That's an impressive list of the basis of American power you lined out there. And debates are part of American history. I mean, 1858 Lincoln-Douglas debate, 1960 Nixon and Kennedy. But Trump wasn't at either of these two primary debates. He was speaking with Tucker Carlson with 150 million views on Twitter and now X, and then also now in Detroit. So is he paving the way for a new way to appeal to voters by speaking with them directly?
10: Yes, I think so. He is a master of communication and... and he understands you know he's 78 years old he's almost the same age as Joe Biden but what a stark difference between the two of them Joe Biden shows up and he has as Trump kept saying nine people around him and he spoke for a handful of lines maybe maybe said 20 words the entire time Um, Trump knows how to dominate the national conversation and he does it very effectively why should he go to a debate? where he is constrained and, and put on a stage and made to appear equal with these seven other people who can't uh, can't uh, hold a, a measure to him.
1: Speaking of conversation, Bart, you and I spoke yesterday and we laid out some expectations here. Did the debate pay out as you expected?
10: There were some surprises for me. Uh, the biggest surprise, and, uh, and a very positive one, was Doug Burgum. He complained that he only got a couple of questions, but his answers to those questions were spot on, and and he seemed like he knew what he was talking about, and I think everybody who watched it came away thinking, who is that guy? I'd like to know more about him. Uh, he has opened a, a a gate through which he can go and gain. Uh, as I said, Pence and Christy Fade, the, the three that were in contention with each other, uh, Ramaswamy, Uh, uh, Scott and Haley uh, fought they all diminished themselves a little bit but Vivek came out ahead of the other two Uh, he was attacked at one point by I think every single other debater on that stage the crosstalk was just horrendous and it diminished all of them it made them look like a bunch of high school debaters squabbling without any rules
1: I always appreciate hearing your analysis. Bart Marquois, former presidential campaign policy advisor, thank you. Thank you.
0: And with a partial government shutdown just days away now, groups of House Republicans are still grappling with the best way forward. And Daniel Monaghan has the latest.
8: The Republican House majority still can't see eye to eye. Some, like the House Freedom Caucus, want spending cuts. Others, like Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene, won't back any budget deals with military support for Ukraine. Representative Matt Gates has even floated the idea of removing House Speaker Kevin McCarthy from his position, claiming McCarthy hasn't kept his commitments for a conservative budget. Ousting McCarthy is something Representative Tim Burchett says he'd be willing to consider.
11: Well, I actually, I'm not backtracking or anything, but what I said was it's something that I'd look at.
8: The Congressman added that McCarthy attaching border provisions into a potential stopgap bill wouldn't convince him to vote for it.
11: We used to get on Pelosi for those tricks. She would she'd put
12: one little small thing in there.
8: The House did pass a procedural hurdle to consider some spending bills, but there's still a long way to go to bring them in line with the budget proposals of the Democrat-controlled Senate. Moderate Republican Representative Brian Fitzpatrick says he's working on a budget deal supported by both Democrats and Republicans.
13: We put out a bill; it's a, the only bipartisan bill existing in the House right now. And um,
8: you know, we'll we'll see what happens this week. Fitzpatrick says they'll find every option they have to force a vote on the bill. We deserve a vote on this bill, and it'll pass.
1: And it's got border security, and it's got Ukraine funding.
8: A shutdown would begin on Sunday, October 1st, if Congress is unable to put a funding plan together. That means all non-essential government services would come to a halt, and millions of government employees, including those in the armed forces, wouldn't receive paychecks. Daniel Monahan, NTD News.
1: Coming up, new info about Hunter Biden's foreign business dealings. What's in the hundreds of pages from the IRS whistleblowers?
0: Senator Bob Menendez has stepped down as chairman of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. Find out more about his replacement.
1: Chaos in the streets of Philadelphia. Police arrest over 50. We take a look at the mass wave of looting after the break. Welcome back. New info about Hunter Biden's foreign business dealings. House members yesterday released hundreds of pages in relation to the investigation. And today's Melina Wisecup has more.
14: IRS whistleblowers who previously testified on Hunter Biden's tax evasion gave documents to the House Ways and Means Committee. That committee reviewed those documents today in an executive closed-door session, after which they did vote to release partially redacted versions of those documents to the public. These documents, of course, pertain back to Hunter Biden's foreign cash flow and how or if that relates back to President Biden. Although Biden has denied any involvement in these business deals, Here's Jason Smith, the chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee, explaining what exactly is in these new documents now released to the public.
2: How then Vice President Biden's April 2014 official visit to Ukraine occurred only days after a series of meetings between Hunter Biden and Vice President Biden himself. Hunter Biden sent an email to Devin Archer saying, quote, we need to get to Mexico City and cement the deal with Miguel. Public records show Joe Biden later used Air Force two to shuttle Hunter and another business associate, Jeff Cooper, to Mexico City.
14: And Congressman Tim Burchett did tell me that there is another piece of evidence recently released by the Oversight Committee that caught his eye.
11: I think um, this latest though, with the, the wire transfer from China going, to Joe Biden's home address and with him listed as the recipient in the um, in the text. I think that's pretty damning. There's no other way around it.
14: And those wires did happen at the time that Biden was running for the office of the president. All of this comes just one day before the House Oversight Committee is set to hold that first hearing on the impeachment inquiry into the president. Reporting from Washington, D.C., Melina Wisecup, NTD News. Democrats want embattled
0: Senator Bob Menendez to step down, but yesterday he pleaded not guilty to bribery conspiracy charges. and today's legal correspondent Arlene Richards has the details.
15: Senator Bob Menendez maintaining his innocence Wednesday at a federal arraignment hearing in Manhattan. The senator and his wife Nadine, who also pleaded not guilty, faced three counts as part of an alleged bribery conspiracy. The couple are accused of taking bribes from three New Jersey businessmen in exchange for the senator's influence. Menendez was released on $100,000 bond. Meanwhile, around 30 Senate Democrats have called on Menendez to resign, including House Democrat Chair Pete Aguilar and Senate Majority Whip Dick Durbin.
10: It doesn't bring me or any of us joy to say uh, that he should resign, uh, but he should uh, for the betterment of the Democratic Party. Uh, For the people of New Jersey, it's better that he fights this trial um, outside of the
8: halls of Congress.
15: Durbin, who previously supported Menendez, changed course Wednesday, saying in a social media post, leaders in New Jersey, including the governor and my Senate colleague Cory Booker, have made it clear that Senator Menendez can no longer serve. He should step down. Senator Booker said in a statement Tuesday that it was a mistake for Menendez to refuse to step down and that stepping down would be best for the senator's constituents. Senator Chuck Schumer broke his silence at a press conference on Wednesday.
7: Like you, I was just deeply disappointed, disturbed when I read the indictment.
8: But we all know that senators, for senators there's a much much higher standard. And clearly when you read the indictment Senator Menendez fell way, way below that standard. Tomorrow, he will address the Democratic caucus, and we'll see what happens after that.
15: Schumer stopped short of saying Menendez should resign. Other Senate Democrats also didn't call for Menendez to step down. Rhode Island Senator Jack Reed said he thinks the court should play out. Nevada Senator Catherine Cortez Masto said it's up to the voters to decide.
0: Senator Menendez now has a replacement for his committee leadership role. The Senate agreed yesterday that Senator Ben Cardin will replace Menendez as chairman of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. Menendez stepped down from his role last week, as required under his party's rules when facing felony charges. Cardin is a three-term senator from Maryland, known for human rights advocacy. He will turn 80 next week and has announced that he will not run for re-election next year. He also stepped in from 2015 to 2018, after Menendez faced federal corruption charges that were later dropped. A unanimous vote in the Senate has formalized what members are required to wear.
1: Senators will not be allowed to wear casual attire anymore.
8: Though we've never had an official dress code, the events over the past week have made us all feel as though formalizing it is the right way forward.
0: Senators pushed for a formal dress code after Senator Fetterman started coming to work in shorts and hoodies. Now members on the floor will be required to wear business attire.
1: The issue began when Senate Leader Chuck Schumer quietly changed the dress code to accommodate Senator Fetterman, who suffered a stroke in 2022. Fetterman's presiding over the Senate wearing casual clothes caused outcry in both parties.
0: Large crowds of looters swarmed and ransacked stores in the heart of downtown Philadelphia on Tuesday.
1: They smashed their way into an Apple store and other businesses. Entities Daniel Monahan has more on the rampage.
8: Police say about 100 people moved through the city, targeting retail stores that sell high-end goods, clothing, sneakers, wine and liquor, and even pharmacies, leaving a path of debris and destruction behind. According to law enforcement, looting started around 8 p.m. at a footlocker, breaking glass and leaving sneakers strewn on the ground. More instances of looting happened in rapid succession. First, this Lululemon store left ransacked, Picked over merchandise scattered all over the floor. Minutes later, looters were seen barging into this Apple store. And others broke into this liquor store. A popular social media influencer known as Meatball live-streamed the crime spree. Police say Meatball, whose real name is Dejia Blackwell, was arrested and charged for allegedly taking part in property destruction and burglary and egging people on to join in. Apart from ransacked stores, seven cars were also stolen from a parking lot. Philadelphia Mayor Jim Kenney called the looting a sickening display of opportunistic criminal activity on Twitter. He says Philly won't stand for it. Looted store owner Jay Pross reacted.
2: There's a lot of uh, blindness to ignorance in the city right now.
8: Commercial real estate broker Stanford Wilson wants to see more preventive work done in the future.
11: They all didn't just pop up there, so they they clearly shared locations, maybe um, plans via certain websites or text messages.
8: Mechanical engineer Matthew Steinhauser discusses the looting.
2: All I do is work all day. I never feel the need to loot. There's no one out there helping me.
8: Steinhauser says every moment you put in the day to better yourself is a moment you've invested for the next day.
2: Being an idiot and robbing stores, I mean, come on, you can't do that forever.
8: Police are studying traffic cameras for license plates of vehicles involved and expect more arrests could be coming. Daniel Monahan, NTD News.
0: Well, hopefully that comes to an end soon and um, it's, it's, I mean, If there are small businesses involved, too, they're in big trouble.
1: Yeah, I mean, they have a lot of hurdles to overcome just to be profitable, let alone that. I remember covering the looting that followed the death of George Floyd here in New York City, and it was just mayhem. You see people coming out of the footlocker, and they can't get out because there's people in the way, and it was... Yeah, MS. and then
0: you put up, you see the effects, right? They have to put up all these safety precautions and stuff on the windows.
1: Right. We're heading into the break now. We know more about the July China-linked hacker attack of the State Department. Find out what was compromised.
0: Tens of thousands of ethnic Armenians are fleeing the Nagorno-Karabakh region in Azerbaijan. Here, what's causing the mass exodus?
1: It's good to have you back with us. Chinese hackers were able to steal tens of thousands of emails from the State Department. This is what we know about the Microsoft hacking incident from earlier this year.
8: State Department officials told lawmakers that Chinese hackers stole 60,000 emails from ten State Department accounts during a security breach earlier this year. That's according to a staffer who attended a private briefing by State Department IT officials on Wednesday. The staffer works for Senator Eric Schmidt and declined to be named. According to the briefing details shared by the staffer, nine victims were working on East Asia and the Pacific and one worked on Europe. The Chinese hackers were able to steal sensitive information about their travel itineraries and diplomatic deliberations. The hackers also obtained a list containing all of the department's emails. U.S. officials and Microsoft said in July that Chinese state-linked hackers had accessed email accounts at around 25 organizations since May. These include the U.S. Commerce and State Departments. The extent of the breach remains unclear. The sweeping hack has refocused attention on Microsoft's outsized role in providing IT services to the federal government. Senator Schmidt said in a statement shared by the staffer, We need to harden our defenses against these types of cyber attacks and intrusions. We need to take a hard look at the federal government's reliance on a single vendor as a potential weak point.
0: Tens of thousands of ethnic Armenians are leaving Nagorno-Karabakh after Azerbaijan asserted its control over the region. Secretary of State Blinken spoke with the Azerbaijani president at least twice this week to voice U.S. concerns about the humanitarian situation. Even though most of Karabakh's inhabitants are ethnic Armenians, the region is internationally, internationally recognized as part of Azerbaijan. Azerbaijan and Armenia have been in conflict over the region ever since they had gained independence from the Soviet Union. But even after Azerbaijan's military victory over Nagorno-Karabakh, some say this is far from over. We are in James Carafano, foreign policy expert and Richardson Fellow at the Heritage Foundation. It's really good to have you, James. Good morning. Now, first, I want to know what do you think sparked this takeover? It seems like it was not really seen coming.
7: So so there's been a series of um, conflicts between the Azeris and the Armenians over Nagorno-Karabakh and uh, and the the um, the Azeris have gained back virtually you know all of the territory that legitimately they claim as part of their country and now we're in a process where really it's about the Armenians and Azerbaijan ag- agreeing on how do we move from a, FROM a FROZEN CONFLICT INTO A STABLE FUTURE, AND THERE ARE, there are COMMITMENTS MADE BY BOTH SIDES. And, AND LIKE IT OR NOT, WHAT WE SEE FROM THE Azeris IS WHEN THEY FEEL THE COMMITMENTS HAVE NOT BEEN HONORED, THEY'RE, they're, they're SAYING, LOOK, THE IDEA IS THE COMMITMENTS ARE HONORED, AND THAT ENDS THE CONFLICT. AND IF YOU'RE NOT GOING TO HONOR THE, the, the COMMITMENTS, then the, THEN THE STRUGGLE ON THE BATTLEFIELD IS GOING TO CONTINUE. Again, like it or not, I think the the Azeri position has actually moved the Armenians to the point that I I do think both sides are now serious about honoring the commitments they've made on how to move forward to to get to a a stable relationship between the two countries. Now, we'll see if it holds, but but I actually, again, I think actually if you're going to put commitments on paper, then both sides need to honor them because that's how you move from a cold peace to, to a peaceful
14: border
0: can you just touch on what are those um, what are those agreements that they come to to uh, you know for a stable future
7: yeah well yeah, well some of them have to do with the, the role of peacekeepers honoring um, and transport and and other uh, and other issues like that and uh, and they're on paper and so you know it's it, it's not really a, a, something that's debatable either you've done it or or you haven't done it yeah you know and so, this of course, I, um, well, I think this also gets to the issue of why why are there refugees? Why are people leaving? Um, I can't speak for them in part because the situation is still unstable. and and you know, people want to look after the security uh, 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 and the and the safety of their families because they don't know what's coming next. I will say, having, I mean, as someone who's actually been to the region and seen there what's gone on, I mean, just look, after decades of occupation, uh, of Nagoro Kanabakh the Armenians accomplished nothing they, they didn't improve the land they didn't transform the land they actually basically made it one giant minefield um, the the Azeris, uh have gone back they have very serious commitments to demining um, the area to bringing back the economy uh, to building infrastructure something that was never done and so, I understand why people want to flee a conflict zone, but I think that this land is going to prosper uh, in the future because. And Azerbaijan on that note,
0: I, want, I, I It's interesting to see how this will happen because. So let's take a look at the bigger picture here. So how can we understand, um, for instance, why Kremlin ordered um, it's their peacekeepers in the region to stand down when historically, you know, they were supporting the Iranian side.
7: Yeah, that's a that's a really interesting question because w- the Russians have really abandoned their role uh, in supporting the Armenians, and and that's what's really been the difference, I think, in 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 how these things have developed, and and the question is why did why have they done that? I think you know the simplest answer is if you look across the entire post-Soviet space, the, the Russians are losing their grip because they simply don't have the resources to really effectively manage that um, and uh, and in many ways they've kind of simply abandoned the Armenians to their fate again the, the Russians were their uh, you know protector their mentor forever zero investment, terrible economy, no democracy um, one of the poorest you know countries in the world the Russians did nothing for them now the Russians, to be honest, have really kind of uh, abandoned them because they really can't put out the degree of influence and power and control that they did did years ago. And, and they've kind of left the Armenians kind of on their own. And and I think the Armenians are are, are deeply frustrated in that because now they've got to find their own path forward.
1: Hmm.
0: Well, thank you so much, James Carafano. I appreciate your insights this morning.
1: Thank you. The American soldier Travis King, who crossed the border into North Korea, is now in U.S. custody. King landed at a U.S. military base in Texas early yesterday after North Korea released him with the help of Sweden. NTD's Arian Pastar has the details. The United States has secured the return of Private Travis King from the Democratic People's Republic of Korea.
11: The State Department on Wednesday announcing that the soldier who sprinted into North Korea is on his way back to the U.S., Private Travis King ran across the heavily fortified border between North and South Korea two months ago. The State Department says North Korea's release does not indicate a breakthrough in diplomatic relations with the communist regime. We tried to reach out on a number of occasions. They rejected our direct approaches and uh, ended up uh, uh, talking to uh, Sweden. Uh, and Sweden talked to us and helped negotiate this transfer. The announcement has surprised some observers who expected north korea to drag out his detention a former white house official says private king might not have been of high value to them
9: he was extensively debriefed so i'm sure they found out whatever they need to find out and then you know it's it's matter of it did it does cost some to keep somebody for a lifetime right um so it i mean there's a financial cost there's a logistically you need to have somebody always staying with him there's a language barrier So after finding out maybe that Travis was not of work, they've got everything they needed out of him.
11: King's expulsion almost certainly does not end his troubles. He has been declared absent without leave from the army. This can mean time in military jail, loss of pay or even dishonorable discharge. King will reportedly be taken to Brook Army Medical Center in San Antonio when he returns to the U.S. Ariane Pastar, NTD News.
0: And now let's head to to the U.K. for some short headlines from around the world.
16: Good morning from the U.K., Evelyn and Kevin. Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau has apologised on behalf of MPs for honouring a man in Parliament who fought for a Nazi unit during World War II.
12: All of us who were in this house on Friday regret deeply having stood and clapped, even though we did so unaware of the context. It was a horrendous violation of the memory of the millions of people who died in the Holocaust.
16: Meanwhile, Moscow's envoy to Ottawa said a direct apology to the Russian people is warranted, saying Russia was the main force in defeating Nazi Germany. Oleg Stepanov also said Russia may request the extradition of the World War II veteran. One person was killed and at least 162 injured by a powerful explosion at a warehouse near the airport of Uzbekistan's capital. Tashkent authorities said two dozen people had been hospitalised but faced no threat to their lives. Flights were operating as normal. Germany will introduce new border controls with Poland and the Czech Republic this week. The German interior minister said the focus of the new measures would be people smugglers. Germany saw its first-time asylum requests rise by almost 80% in the first seven months of 2023. A NASA astronaut and two Russian cosmonauts returned to Earth yesterday after being stuck in space for just over a year. American Frank Rubio set a record for the longest US spaceflight at 371 days. Their return came six months late because their original spacecraft sprang a leak. A replacement had to be sent up to get them back home. Torrential rain flooded streets, homes and businesses in the Greek city of Volos and caused power outages in most of the city. It comes just three weeks after devastating storm Daniel killed 16 people in the wider region. The fire brigade said more than 250 people have been evacuated from the area. That's all from me. Back to you both.
0: Glad those astronauts made it back after six months. Yes,
16: definitely.
1: And while Washington and Moscow don't see eye to eye, we do see the camaraderie among Russians and Americans in space exploration. Yeah,
0: that has been historically unaffected, even though the tensions.
1: Yeah, and Russia was hesitant to go along with NASA past 2024, but NASA is hoping that private companies can actually help build a new space station.
0: Mm, Interesting. Well, we're heading to break now. Still to come, personal pronouns and gender identity. The Michigan Supreme Court's recent decision mirrors the national debate.
1: Another strike looming. Tens of thousands of hospitality workers in Las Vegas have authorized a strike. Who would be targeted and what's the impact? Entity business host Don Ma brings us the latest when we come back. Welcome back. We're going to bring you some of the latest headlines.
0: California Governor Gavin Newsom has signed a bill shielding doctors who mail abortion pills out of state. The law also shields California doctors who offer cross-sex procedures to out-of-state patients. The law takes effect on January 1st, 2024.
1: Another New York City daycare facility is in the news. Manhattan police found materials for the 3D printing of ghost guns at an East Harlem daycare center. Mayor Eric Adams told parents with children in the centers that the city will remain vigilant.
0: The LA District Attorney announced his office won't seek the death penalty in the ambush murder case of Deputy Ryan Klinkenbrumer. Los Angeles DA George Gascon said the death penalty wouldn't prevent people from committing brutal murders and that it wouldn't bring the slain officer back. The deputy's mother replied, quote, my son's not coming back, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't do your job.
1: Baltimore police arrested a man in connection with the death of tech CEO Pava Leperr this week. Leperr was found dead from blunt force trauma. The arrest of Jason Dean Billingsley came after a days-long manhunt. Court records show the suspect was released from prison after serving about seven years for a first-degree sex offense.
0: A new Michigan Supreme Court decision on personal pronouns reflects the ongoing national debate surrounding gender identity and language. The decision requires judges and lawyers to use preferred pronouns during court proceedings. The decision sparked both support and dissent among the justices. One justice who concurred with the rule change emphasized the need to adapt to changes in language and the norms of society. She called it a matter of respect. A dissenting justice expressed concern about wading into political topics that have little to do with the judicial system. And as the Hollywood writer's strike comes to an end, another work stoppage could soon begin. In Las Vegas, hospitality workers have voted overwhelmingly in favor of a strike against hotels and casinos. I spoke with entity business Don Ma for details. Oh, we're bringing in entity business don ba hi don so what is the situation there
13: here's uh, from the powerful culinary union and bartenders union voted uh 95 percent in favor for a strike in las vegas uh, so very overwhelming decision uh, the union leadership as of now is actually authorized to call the strike But you know, negotiations uh, are still ongoing with several hotels uh, and it's going to continue into the next week. Uh, The two unions actually represent 60,000 workers in Las Vegas and Reno, Uh, 53,000 workers were eligible to vote uh, on Tuesday Um, and approximately 40,000 members are working under expired contracts. But, But the union actually didn't immediately set a deadline for a walkout. Uh, but union le- leadership now has the ability to call a strike at any time moving forward.
0: And now, what are they asking for here? What's the target?
13: Yeah, so uh, they're currently uh, in-, in talks with the top casino employers on the Las Vegas Strip, uh, including MGM Resorts, Caesars, Wynn Resorts, uh, among uh, dozens of others. So the unions are act, asking for better pay, uh, reduced workload, and, and quotas, and provisions of safety protections, uh, among a couple of other things as well.
0: Mm. So what will be the impact then if a strike does happen?
13: Yeah, so you know, depending on how long and how widespread the strike is, you know, it could even have the potential of actually shutting down the entire Las Vegas Strip. Um, so this is a bit on the extreme end, but but still, there's there's definitely going to be impacts on the Las Vegas hospitality industry. You know, Evelyn. You know, just think about this. Uh, if the workers are on strike, you know, who's going to come uh, to clean your room, uh, your hotel room? You know, nobody wants to clean their own uh, own room when they're on vacation. Um, if there's no one cooking as well, that reduces the options uh, of food you have. Um, so. If that happens, you know, think about it. Tourists might say, you know, I'm not, I'm just not going to go this week. I'll cancel my flight. I'll cancel my bookings. And you know, if that happens, Evelyn, it's going to have an impact on on revenue of companies and potentially even the local GDP there.
0: Mm. Good to keep an eye on that. So, what else do you have for us today?
13: Yeah, so some good news, first of all, for farmers and ranchers. Uh, IRS announced a 12-month tax relief extension for those who sold livestock during uh, due, to, due to drought. Um, this move gives them more time to replace livestock and defers taxes from forced sales. This extension uh, applies to drought regions between September 1st, 2022 and August 31st, 2023. Uh, and this is determined by the National Drought Mitigation Center. Um, But other than that, uh, a reminder for parents, the end of the child care stabilization grant program is just three days away. And what that means is more than 70,000 child care programs might also come to a close. This is according to analysis by the Century Foundation. Uh, This organization says about 3.2 3.2 million children would be kicked out of daycare when the program ends. Uh, the historic federal program was part of the $1.9 trillion American Rescue Plan Act passed in 2021. So that's just two updates from me this morning, Evelyn.
1: Hmm.
0: Important reminder that I thank you so much, Don, host of Entity Business.
13: Yeah, thank you, Evelyn.
1: Coming up, is there something you can add to your diet that could improve your health? That's a question we ask a researcher about the rise of a new (music) superfood. Welcome back. A new kind of complex carbohydrate, or polysaccharides, could be the next step in the treatment for Alzheimer's. That's
0: right, I spoke with associate psychiatry professor Dr. John Lewis to find out more about this new superfood.
11: These polysaccharides are utilized by all of the cells in the body. And through the study of over many different, uh, through many different labs across the world, people are recognizing the value of these particular polysaccharides. Now, unfortunately, we can't really get these in the diet. I mean, do you know anyone who eats aloe vera? (laughs) I don't, I know no one who eats aloe vera. If, If you eat brown rice, then you are getting some polysaccharide through the rice bran that's in brown rice, but unfortunately most of the world wants to eat white rice and the rice bran has been stripped off of the kernel to get to a white rice.
0: Tell me more about where to find that carbohydrate. Is, is, are there, you know, maybe pills out there that give you a concentrated amount of that? What exactly can people look for to get that?
11: Thank you for that question as well. So actually we created based on our research, we ran clinical trials in people with Alzheimer's disease and multiple sclerosis. And we showed with this complex formula that we could actually help people to improve their quality of life. We could help recover uh, cognitive function, immune function, lower inflammation, improve stem cell production. And so we created a product that we call Daily Brain Care here at Dr. Lewis Nutrition that folks can get that particular formula that we evaluated in our research.
0: Mm. Okay, interesting, that's good to know. And is there anything else that people should do or can do to maybe prevent Alzheimer's later in life? Any lifestyle related things also?
11: Yes, this is a great question as well. So, you know, one thing I'd like to say because I've focused so much of my work in dietary supplements, which, you know, especially for these pr- particular polysaccharides are absolutely, to me, so important and so crucial to utilize every day. But you cannot just supplement your way to good health, right? I mean, everything, that we put into our, mail, into our mouths is essentially guided and directed information to direct our genes, how to function, how to tell the cells how to function. So it's so important to recognize what we put into our mouths through our diet. And then of course, exercise, physical activity, that's very important, not utilizing tobacco. I mean, I, I think we all recognize the deleterious effects of tobacco use on the brain and, and the rest of our body. Of course, stress management, being able to sleep properly, getting enough sleep, trying to not have insomnia, managing stress. I mean, all these things are very important that go into a holistic approach to, to mm-hmm. not only again, just for brain health, but for overall health. But if, but if I can I would, I would tell you that nutrition for me is number one and then everything else kind of falls, falls after that in the priority list.
0: Thank you so much, Dr. John Lewis.
1: I really appreciate it.
11: Thank you so much for having me. I look forward to being on your show again soon.
1: You know, speaking of rice, there's a brown rice protein powder that's really good. It's an extract, and high in protein, it's really good for baking, because it has the texture of flour.
0: Oh, interesting. Yeah. To replace flour?
1: Uh, You just kind of mix it in with the flour.
0: Oh. Oh, interesting. I mean, yeah, all these things that I don't know about, and I was, I think nowadays there are aloe drinks, not necessarily to eat by themselves. but. I mean, a dosage, right, is always one of those questions. I can start, I was telling him that I can start eating aloe, but how much do I have to eat from now on to get that right dosage, so.
1: I've known aloe to be but, good for sunburns.
0: Oh, yeah, that's right, too. Mm-hmm. Well, it looks like it's good for uh, Alzheimer's now, too. Who knew? Uh, anyway, we are heading into the second part of our show now. Reactions from the GOP 2024 debate spin room, we hear from surrogates and campaign advisors about candidates' performance.
1: Shoplifting and looting has been on the rise. Why are more people turning towards theft? We speak to an award-winning journalist for some insight.
0: More news from the southern border as Mexican authorities launch an operation to move migrants to other parts of the country for entry into the U.S.
1: A new feature for ChatGPT will allow users to access the Internet. We have more on the company's latest feature and what it means for you. An unexpected guest crashed a
0: picnic at a Mexican park. The encounter turned out to be bearable, though. That story coming up.
1: Hello again, and to all of you who just joined us, good morning.
0: And we're going to get back to last night's GOP primary debate and check out some reactions from the spin room at the event. Entities spoke to advisors and surrogates after the debate. Entities Jeremy Sandberg has more on the response.
2: Campaign advisors, supporters and surrogates weighed in following the second GOP primary debate. Matt Gorman, senior communications advisor for Senator Tim Scott's campaign, told NTD's Steve Lance he liked the way Scott was able to contrast his policies with other candidates. He says Scott's approach to dealing with China, a hot topic at the debate, will be
3: strong. He will be strong on China um, and I think that's what you saw too today when he was going back and forth with Vivek. You know, Vivek wants to call everybody bought and paid for, he's, you know, purer than the driven snow. And yet... uh, when uh, Vivek, in his previous, I guess, life, pre-political, he was uh, had ties, the Chinese Communist Party's business had ties, the Chinese Communist Party, and he, and he was uh, getting money from Hunter Biden's buddy there. So I think what you're going to see is those policy contrasts, particularly in China. I think
2: Governor DeSantis, Aaron Perine, communications director for the Never Back Down pact backing DeSantis, said the Florida governor's performance on the debate stage set him apart from other candidates due to his ability to explain his record and path forward on sensitive policy issues like China.
4: This is one of those record of strength moments for the governor. He has they, They outlawed the ability for China to buy farmland and land in Florida. He has outlawed Confucius Institutes in Florida. We have seen him stand up to the CCP and to the Chinese government to benefit Floridians. When he gets on the national stage, when he becomes president of the United States, those are strong policy positions, decoupling our economies, making sure that America can be independent of China for our own needs. That is what every American should want, and they heard and they know that Ron DeSantis is the candidate who can actually deliver on that.
2: Vivek Ramaswamy surrogate Kathy Barnett says Ramaswamy was the most clear about his message and vision and welcomed the heat from other Republican candidates
5: people are punching up (laughs) because they recognize that he has the momentum so we wear all of their angst and criticism as a badge of honor because we recognize that and they recognize as well when you see all of that rancor that's going on is that the momentum is behind him and the key thing that they should be asking is not how to douse His his momentum and enthusiasm from the people, but what it is, but what is it that is causing that momentum in the first place? And what it is is that no one has been more clear about the vision, about the dangers, and where it is we're running toward, and how to get from where we find ourselves today to actually pulling our nation off the precipice.
2: With former President Trump skipping the debate to address auto workers in Michigan, the GOP frontrunner sent surrogates instead. Trump surrogate Kevin Marino Cabrera told NTD the debate was uneventful and uninspiring. He says Trump chose to take his message straight to the voters and that he's more qualified for the job than anyone on stage. Nobody is more
6: prepared to deal with China than President Trump. Everybody else on stage again, I think they're just campaigning to see, you know, if they could be secretary of commerce, maybe transportation, but none of them have a real chance to beat President Trump because he's a, he has a commanding lead of nearly 50 percent. It's insurmountable.
2: The third Republican presidential debate will be held in Miami on November 8th. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News.
0: With the partial government shutdown just stays away now, groups of House Republicans are still grappling with the best way forward. NTD's Daniel Monaghan has the latest.
8: The Republican House majority still can't see eye to eye. Some like the House Freedom Caucus want spending cuts. Others, like Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene, won't back any budget deals with military support for Ukraine. Representative Matt Gates has even floated the idea of removing House Speaker Kevin McCarthy from his position. There's still a long way to go to bring them in line with the budget proposals of the Democrat-controlled Senate. Moderate Republican Representative Brian Fitzpatrick says he's working on a budget deal supported by both Democrats and Republicans.
1: We put out a bill, it's a, the only bipartisan bill Existing in the house right now, and um, you know we'll we'll see
8: what happens this week. Fitzpatrick says they'll find every option they have to force a vote on the bill.
13: We deserve a vote on this bill, and it'll pass. And it's got border security, and it's got Ukraine funding.
8: A shutdown would begin on Sunday, October 1st, if Congress is unable to put a funding plan together. That means all non-essential government services would come to a halt and millions of government employees including those in the armed forces wouldn't receive paychecks. Daniel Monahan NTD
1: News.
0: Philadelphia was hit by some heavy looting on Tuesday.
1: Large crowds swarmed and ransacked stores.
0: Police say about 100 people moved through the city targeting high-end retail stores leaving a path of debris and destruction behind.
1: Some of the affected businesses included Foot Locker, Lululemon, and Apple. Police say seven cars were also stolen from a parking lot.
0: Philadelphia Mayor Jim Kenney called the looting a sickening display of opportunistic criminal activity on X. Police are studying traffic cameras for license plates of vehicles involved and expect to make more arrests.
1: We're going to look at the recent looting in Philadelphia for analysis on the cause and some historical context. We're bringing in Alex Newman, an award-winning international journalist and the president of Liberty Sentinel Media. He joins us live to discuss this. Good morning, Alex. It's great to be here. Thank you. So interim Philadelphia Police Commissioner John Safford said the ransacking of Philly was done by a bunch of criminal opportunists. In your view, are the grievances over Officer Dial's murder count being dismissed the cause, or is it mostly people with no stake in Irizarry's death doing this to enrich themselves?
6: Yeah, I, I think there's a few things at work here. I mean, one, obviously, there's the, the opportunism, the the criminal element. I, I think they find things that could be used as a pretext, like this uh, death. And you know we've seen other things in the past, like George Floyd and other things. But uh, really, this is, I think, part of a much broader societal shift that we're seeing. It's a breakdown in the culture of morality. It's a breakdown in the culture of law and order that is very, very dangerous. And unfortunately, we've seen a lot of... Uh, mayors and police chiefs and Democrat city councils, especially in big Democrat cities on the West Coast and now even on the East Coast, where uh, this stuff is not only tolerated, but even encouraged. It's incredibly dangerous. And I believe it's part of a broader plan. When you have this kind of lawlessness, people uh, are ripe for a revolution. People become ripe for radical changes, even uh, government policies that wouldn't normally be accepted. So there's a lot going on here. But I do think it has a lot to do also with the culture of morality and law and order breaking down.
1: So those are some big issues you touched on, the breakdown of morality and law and order. What's the first step to address this, just briefly?
6: Well, I think one of the biggest problems is what's happening in the public schools. Uh, We now have a a culture that's coming out of the public schools where children are being taught that morality is subjective, that there are there is no really right and wrong. You can have all these grievances. You can be a victim. And so you're entitled to take things from others. You're entitled to steal. Uh, All of this is very dangerous. And we need a cultural shift back to what we once had in this country where law and order and morality were
1: respected. So we've seen the riots and the looting that followed the acquittal surrounding the excessive use of force of Rodney King back in L.A. in 92 and then of course the looting following the death of George Floyd. Can you compare and contrast these with what we saw in Philly?
6: Yeah, we don't know all the details yet about what happened in Philly, but we do know some of what happened uh, with Rodney King and then we know some of what happened with George Floyd later, that there really was behind the scenes operation. Of course, uh, Black Lives Matter was a major player in the George Floyd riots, and uh, this is part of a Marxist movement. In fact, the leaders, the founders of this movement told us they were Marxist. They actually went on television, said they were trained Marxists. They're very comfortable with the communist dictatorship in Venezuela. So what we're dealing with here is actually part of a much broader phenomenon you <laughs> you know, the Marxists have had, uh, going all the way back to Czechoslovakia, the strategy of pressure from below and pressure from above. Uh, what we're seeing here is the pressure from below, and then the pressure from above comes from political leaders and things like that. Of course, there's also the effort to uh, discredit our law enforcement. We, we've seen a concerted agenda going back many decades. and In fact, the Communist Party, USA, uh, was deliberately plotting to discredit local police so that they could eventually be uh, federalized, and that, I believe, is a big part of what's at work here as well. Local police have been handcuffed with a goal of the federal government coming in with more funding more training and ultimately more control over local police departments that historically have been accountable to city councils and local communities not Washington DC. Yes
1: yeah, definitely some of the cause and effects of the defund the police movement and recent reports show that about 100 billion dollars were stole from retail stores because of looting or because of this type of shoplifting. So that's another thing that's running in parallel. I wish we had more time to talk about this. But Alex Newman, an award-winning international journalist and the president of Liberty Sentinel Media, it was great talking to you.
6: Thank you so much.
0: And on the illegal immigration crisis, Mexico launched an operation to clear migrants from its southern border yesterday.
1: The Mexican government provided buses to move migrants to other locations in the country where they can apply for asylum in the U.S.
0: The move came after thousands of migrants piled into the offices of the Mexican Commission for aid to refugees in recent days. Mexican authorities said they deployed over 180 buses and more than 70 vans to move over 8,000 migrants.
1: Meanwhile, New York officials have been told El Paso, Texas is restarting its migrant busing operation. El Paso had been sending buses of illegal immigrants to New York City for several months because of the high number of migrant crossings at the southern border.
0: And that's all in addition to migrant buses sent by the state of Texas, which have continued to arrive. Well, and then there's um, Texas Governor Greg Abbott that says, uh, who says that New York City's migrant crisis is calm compared to the one in his state.
1: Yeah, and there's nothing calm about it. I mean, we've seen protests over the migrant shelters, arrests because of that, billions of dollars in costs due to this, and 15% budget cuts, calls, and even legal battles. A lot oh, going yeah, on. Yeah,
0: exactly. Good to list, uh, uh, list those numbers, yeah.
1: And we're going to break now. OpenAI introduces a new feature allowing ChatGPT to users to browse the web. Find out what the company says about the new feature.
0: And some friends out for a picnic in a park in Mexico had an unwelcome guest show up. Find out more after the break. Welcome back. We have some news just in actor Michael Gambon, known for his role as Professor Dumbledore in the Harry Potter films, has died at age 82. A statement by his family said he died following a bout of pneumonia. The family says the veteran actor passed away peacefully in the hospital with his wife and son Fergus beside him.
1: Gambon's career spanned over five decades and was recognized by his deep and drawling voice. He was cast as the much-loved Dumbledore after the death of his predecessor Richard Harris in 2002. Amid a legal battle, social media site X says California is infringing on its editorial judgment. We hear a perspective on who should be setting the rules for content moderation and why you should be concerned. Joining me now for some discussion on this is Andrew Salapak, social media professor at the University of Florida. Good morning, Andrew. Good morning. Should it be the federal government or state government that is providing these social media platforms with rules on how they moderate content and what they need to disclose about it?
12: Well, I think we can all agree that the federal government's really kind of dropped the ball in terms of really playing their part, doing their job when it comes to looking at online, digital, social media. You know, we, we keep living under the Communications Decency Act of 1996 as being sort of the main thing that regulates social media. Uh, 1996, for those in the audience who remember, was dial-up modems, and there was no such thing as a smartphone. You know, the federal government's kind of given up in terms of really being the ones who are regulating this. And now we have patchwork from the individual states.
1: So NetChoice, it's an advocacy group that's leading the charge in both of these court battles here. And they said that this is just an aggressive action by California and it's in a censorship attempt. And it's disguised as a transparency law. What do you make of this?
12: Again, I think it comes down to, are they trying to get these social media platforms to explain, okay, here is our moderation policy, or are they trying to influence how these platforms are moderating content? I, I'm a, I fully believe that we do need to have more transparency from these platforms. Uh, how does the algorithm work? Uh, exactly how are they targeting certain groups, what information are they taking when it comes to data privacy. But I don't think sort of forcing these companies to maybe play by whatever state law uh, sort of suggests how content should be moderated is what we're looking at. Again, because the CDA of 1996 sort of indicates that these platforms shouldn't be liable, will not be liable for the content posted by users. So as far as their content moderation policies go, it's sort of up to them at the moment because we have no real laws coming out of the federal government.
1: And why should the average social media user be concerned about what a state says a social media platform has to disclose?
12: Well, I think for the average social media user, they probably don't understand any of this. So, you know, that even having these conversations, I think, is a good step. And it's good for them to kind of realize some of these things that are going on behind the scenes. For the average user, again, I think it kind of depends on where you fall on sort of having this belief in the First Amendment uh, and whether or not states should be able to force these social media companies or attempt to force these social media companies companies to limit users free speech on these platforms and from that perspective i think everybody here in the united states and anybody that is a believer in the right for people to speak freely uh should be concerned if it appears the states are trying to in any way limit this ability on social media or force these companies to maybe kind of be prepared to answer for fines be prepared to answer to a state government as opposed to the users, as opposed to the international audience, as opposed to the federal government here in the United States.
1: Yes, understanding the reason why, Andrew Selpak, social media professor at the University of Florida, thank you for your analysis. Thank you. Freedom of speech is in the spotlight from another angle. This after two teachers say they were fired for speaking their mind on educational policies. And today's Daniel Monahan spoke with the pair, as well as with their lawyer from Alliance Defending Freedom.
8: Rachel Sager has been in education for many years, including at North Middle School in Grants Pass, Oregon, where she served as assistant principal. Sager took issue with the school's gender identity education policy and didn't agree with the concealing of so-called gender transitions from parents.
0: That's not okay with me. If a student is going through something as big as desiring to transition, that's something that the parents should absolutely be involved in because the parents know their child best and can be the best advocate for their students.
8: Science teacher Katie Medar, who worked at the same school, also opposed letting students use whichever bathroom they choose and other policy rules.
14: Our ideas that we shared on our own time as private citizens away from work were to um, have students use restrooms based off of biological sex or align with their biological sex to make sure that we require parent permission if a student would want to transition, change their name or pronouns and just that you couldn't mandate speech.
8: Medar says teachers shouldn't be forced to violate their conscience if they have a religious conviction in response to the policies, the pair started a grassroots organization I resolve To suggest gender identity education policy proposals, they say respect the rights of students, parents and teachers.
14: It was very reasonable, loving solutions um, and that teachers shouldn't be punished for sharing um, such ideas to best care for our students.
0: Ultimately, it's because I care about students and I care about the freedoms that our students and our teachers and our staff should be able to have and I care about uh, parent involvement.
8: Medar says a few individuals were offended by their speech and a video they made promoting their organization. She says the administration launched an investigation, put them on leave, and then ultimately terminated the pair. Sager and Medar filed a lawsuit to undo what they call the retaliation against them. They wished to be reinstated to their former positions and stop the enforcement of the school district's policy they say regulated their speech both on and off duty. Attorney Matthew Hoffman discusses the school district's policy on their staff speech.
11: The policy is extremely broad, prohibiting all discussion of what are quote controversial issues, which the policy defines as issues on which reasonable people can disagree. Um, and I think all reasonable people can see that reasonable people disagree on anything, including you know this the last night's football game or anything like that.
8: Hoffman says the district court ignored the principle that public employees should be free to express their concerns, even if some may find those concerns controversial. And so they have appealed the ruling with the Ninth Circuit
11: Court. The case is currently pending. The bottom line principle is that schools cannot retaliate against their employees for speaking on a matter of public concern. And that's especially true for teachers speaking on what affects them most, education policy.
8: NTD reached out to North Middle School for comment. We are still waiting to hear back from them. Daniel Monahan, NTD News.
0: Teens are hit by over 200 phone notifications a day, and they're tempted to look at them even in the middle of class. How
9: serious is this, and what can parents do? NTD's Emma Shi investigates. Teens are distracted by around 237 phone notifications per day. According to a new report from Common Sense Media, of the 200 teens who participated, many got over 500 notifications. One-fourth of these notifications came during school hours. The teens then looked at their phones for an average of 43 minutes, some for as long as six hours. The kids would check their phones over 100 times per day on average, some saying they struggled to put them down.
2: She may receive 150 snaps in a day, if not more. Uh, There's a constant... That snap attack.
9: Psychotherapist Carl Nassar's fourteen-year-old daughter is also barraged by phone notifications. He says having a good relationship with our teens is a key way to deal with the issue. How do we have the conversations over and over again about okay, you know, it's dinner time. Let's put the phone aside and let's have our meal. Uh, you
2: know, when is something really important and when can something wait?
9: Teens can also access age-appropriate content on their phones. Almost half of the teen participants did so accessing content like pornography, betting apps, and violent games. A small number use social media to chat with strangers, a risky phenomenon that could lead to problematic interactions with adults.
3: Teens are very lonely
9: these days.
3: The lockdowns kept them away from their friends, uh, made their only communication for the most part online. So their phone becomes their friend. Uh, And that is really
9: sad. Psychiatrist Carol Lieberman says parents can take the phones away for periods of time and set time limits. They should also introduce their kids to other activities, like sports or dance class. That will help them realize what they're missing out on.
2: It's always a process, right? There's no end to when we, you know, when she's got it and we leave her alone.
9: Psychotherapist Carl Nassar says his 14-year-old daughter has matured with her phone use. She can distinguish between notifications that are important and one-second wait, but there are still times when she gets hooked, and that's when the conversations begin anew. Emma, she? NTD News. ChatGPT users will
0: now be able to surf the web. This, according to Microsoft-backed OpenAI, who made the announcement yesterday.
1: OpenAI said this will expand the data the viral chatbot can access beyond its earlier September 2021 cutoff.
0: The artificial intelligence startup said its latest browsing feature would allow websites to control how ChatGPT can interact with them. The startup also announced a major update earlier this week. It enabled ChatGPT to have voice conversations with users and interact with them using images, much like other popular AI assistants like Apple Siri.
1: An earlier introduced feature was disabled by the company over fears it could allow users to bypass paywalls. It facilitated user access for the latest information via the Bing search engine within its premium ChatGPT Plus offering does need to be regulated.
0: Well, yeah. I wonder if that's not still possible, if you can ask them to summarize something that has a paywall and well, it spits out. Not sure. but Yeah,
1: that is a top concern. And you know, Bard is up to date, so it didn't have that September 2021 cutoff. But now, it seems He won't either.
0: Yeah. Well, and of course, we can't have enough fun headlines to end the show here.
1: Yeah, some picnickers in Mexico were surprised by an unexpected guest. They were eating tacos and enchiladas when a black bear hopped on their picnic table and helped himself to their food. Doesn't look like they're going to have any leftovers. The mother bravely shielded her son and remained very still. After the bear was finished, he calmly jumped down and walked away. Thankfully, no one was hurt. The park where they were eating is a habitat for endangered black bears.
0: And do you know what Chef's Kiss or Grammable mean? Well, Merriam-Webster has released its annual list of new words to help you out. English is constantly changing, and this year's list has almost 700 new words, acronyms, and definitions.
1: There's just something about a good dictionary. And so Grammable means that it's suitable to be posted on Instagram. and Chef's Kiss?
0: I think that just means that something is um, perfect. Great.
1: Ah, uh, okay.
0: I don't know. Well, you know that I have trouble keep up keeping up too. I think once I go back to Germany, sometimes the language that you know the young kids use, I have to Google myself. So.
1: Got to be up with the lingo.
0: Yeah, exactly. All right, better double check that one too. So that's all for today's program. We'd love to hear from you at, at NTD.com. So shoot an email if you'd like with some feedback. Thanks for watching. I'm Evelyn Lee.
1: And I'm Kevin Hogan.